This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. We do know that there are systems, high-performing education systems, that do give teachers a lot more preparation time. Shanghai is an example where teachers only teach for 10 to 12 hours a week in terms of face-to-face teaching time. The trade-off, of course, is much higher class sizes. So like like everything in education, there's, there's no free lunch. That's Jordana Hunter reflecting on the ever-present need for time in teaching. Less contact hours. Sounds great, but no free lunch? Jordana is my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. Jordana Hunter is a researcher at the Grattan Institute, an Australian public policy think tank based in Melbourne. She's about to embark on research which addresses the age-old issue of time in education. Do teachers have enough time for the core part of their jobs, that is, teaching and learning? And is the profession sustainable given the increasing demands placed on teachers and schools to teach a whole lot of other things, like general capabilities, technology, citizenship, health, and the list goes on? Jordana will be presenting at the 2021 Age School Summit in Melbourne on the complex issue of time as a precious resource for teachers. I caught up with Jordana before the summit to get deeper insight into this important research. Look, it's often said that teachers are time poor. I hear that all the time. I just want to start with that because it's fairly controversial. Do you think that's a fair statement? Look, Colin, we certainly hear that all the time as well. Um, We hear that in our Grattan research and we also hear it when we're just out talking to teachers and schools about how things are going. Um, I think, um, you know, there is a lot a lot to that statement. Um, Teachers are saying that because that's how they feel. Um, We know teaching is an incredibly rewarding profession, um, but there's really no off switch. There's no end to the list of things that teachers can do to support students in their learning and also in their broader lives. Um, It's really hard for a teacher to get to the end of the day and say, well, you know what, Um, I've I've ticked everything off my to-do list. There's always a little bit more a teacher can do, um, be it, you know, help help a student who might be struggling, help a student who might be lacking in motivation or even taking that student who's really excited about learning about something new and giving them that little nudge. Um, So I think as a profession, you know, teachers really can sometimes struggle to prioritise the things that um, really matter for them because that list, that to-do list is just, you know, endless sometimes. So is it more of a case that teachers need to say or be comfortable with themselves to say, actually, the job's done today? Because Everyone's got 24 hours in a day. No one's got more or less. We've all got the same amount of time. Is it, is it a case where we need to say, no, actually, I do a good job and I've done enough for today? Is it, would, could it be as simple as that? Look, I think, um, I think that there are certainly um, conversations about priorities um, that, that maybe don't happen as much in schools as they could. Um, and, and, you know, certainly um, teachers, um, you know, we would love to sort of move to a system, a, a world where teachers could at the end of the day feel really confident that they've done enough. I think, I think the challenge is, is that over time, increasingly, we are asking more and more from schools. So it's not just a question of teachers themselves not being satisfied. Um, expectations on schools, I think, really have grown significantly over the last few decades. Um, there's a lot more that's expected from teachers in their day-to-day role. So, you know, we can 
see that just in the evolution of um, the Melbourne Declaration and the Alice Springs Declaration agreed in 2019. It's not just about uh, student learning. It's also about, you know, 21st century skills, building students with deep resilience, strong communication skills, thinking about their emotional and spiritual development, mental health worries, bullying in schools, uh, consent in relationships. There's a broad range of things we want from schools in addition to literacy and numeracy outcomes and the other forms of academic learning. On the whole, I think that's a great thing that we have such high expectations. The question is just how do we really help schools and teachers deliver on those expectations in a way that can be done hopefully not in 24 hours, but hopefully in, you know, a normal kind of workload that can be sustained over time. Now, you're about to embark on some significant research in this area, which I find fascinating, and I think it's incredibly relevant. One of the uh, broader ideas of your research, of course, is that whilst all of those expectations that you've just been talking about have been increasing and developing over the years, the way we do things in school, let's call it the operating models, haven't kept pace. Um, why Why is that a difficult relationship for schools to recognise? I think this is a really interesting question. And, and I should say at the outset, I don't think it's just a, a, a difficulty for schools. I think it's also a challenge that department, education department leaders face and our politicians face. So I think what we could, you know, how we understand it is our expectations for schools have changed in really significant ways. A really clear example of that is our expectations about children staying in schools for a lot longer. So we've we've gradually raised the compulsory school leaving age in Australia over time. And we've done that for really good reasons. We know that kids that, that spend longer in school uh, tend to tend to graduate with much stronger, um, you know, academic and non-academic skills. And that sets them up for, you know, much more productive and and happy lives on the whole, healthier lives, lives with more opportunities. Um, That's just one example of how expectations have changed. I think what's happened is these expectations have changed gradually and it's a little bit like the frog in the boiling pot oh, no. of water. You know, you turn the heat up slowly um, and, and everyone thinks, oh, well, that's that's just a small change on its own, you know, raising the school leaving age, say, from 15 to 17. That's happened in New South Wales about 10 years ago. But when you add these things up and you, you overlay on top of that um, much more transparency about student learning, higher expectations that all students can learn, um, you know, over time, you kind of get to this point where you look around and say, well, actually, how are we supposed to do all of this when when the operating model for schools hasn't changed? And and as I said, I think that that is a challenge for for teachers themselves and for school principals, but it's also a challenge for systems and, and political decision makers. So there seems to be a lot of talk as well about uh all students learning. Now, I see a lot of that coming out in in the conversation around the Australian Professional Standards for Teachers. Uh, I hear it in staff rooms. I hear it in uh, professional development discussions. And I wonder, well, hold on a second. Didn't we uh, concern ourselves with all students learning anyway? I mean, wasn't that there in the past? I get the question I wanted to ask you is, have we just been cruising for too long? <laughs> Look, I don't think any teacher, um, regardless of when they were working, you know, if they became a teacher last year, if they became a teacher in the 1960s or 1970s, would say that 
that, you know, we've been cruising. Um, but I do think, um, you know, our expectations for student learning have changed. I think, um, you know, in, in the past, it might have been more acceptable to say that a student, you know, wasn't good at maths or wasn't good at book learning, perhaps. Um, and, you know, perhaps wasn't well suited to school. And, and maybe it was a little bit easier to say that if we had a degree of confidence that that, that child might leave school down the track and might, you know, walk into a stable and well-paying job um, with a fairly kind of basic um, academic skill set. You know, we know that that's not really the case anymore. We know that students, um, you know, in, in the changing economy, they really do need to have um, proficient uh, literacy and numeracy skills and an ability to adapt to new environments. Um, so, so I think we're placing more emphasis on learning. And, and equally, I think we are placing more emphasis on the important role of teachers in supporting student learning. And the literature, you know, is fairly clear that with the right types of interventions, um, you know, all students can learn and can reach their potential. Um, so I think it's good that expectations are, are going up for students. You know, we shouldn't be just accepting that um, postcode is destiny or, mm. or if a student is struggling to learn to read in the first few years of school that they can't achieve, you know, um, excellent literacy skills with the right forms of intervention. I think the difference that now, though, is that increasingly we understand that, um, you know, these types of interventions can be quite um, complex and sophisticated. And the question I think that we want to ask is, is it reasonable to expect a classroom teacher to be expert in all the sorts of issues that a student might be facing in their learning? Or does it make more sense to think about really a team approach, I guess, where we might be bringing together lots of different types of experts and specialists to make sure kids are, are ready to learn when they step into the classroom and also that teachers are really ready to teach when they step into that classroom. Well, let's come back to more of the operating model idea of schools trying to keep up with this, this pace of change. Let's first of all start with this question of the core part of their job. And some of the initial feedback that you're getting in conversation with teachers, I guess, is that they don't get enough time for the core part of their job, which is teaching and teaching and learning. Do you think that that's really what they want? Or are they, and, and the reason why I ask it this way is, are they so under pressure that they don't really quite know what they need? Or is it that they actually really want more time to do the core part of their job? Teachers say, and, and there's been some really um, useful survey work done of teachers in um, many of the states in Australia. Um, so we actually have quite a good set of data around the types of pressures teachers feel. And they're certainly saying in those surveys that they're just not getting to the high impact tasks like, you know, preparing quality lessons that meet student needs, um, scaffolding lessons for different types of uh, learning challenges for students, evaluating their own practice and working with colleagues. These are the sorts of things that the literature really says makes a difference. Um, and, and they do say they're spending too much time on bureaucracy, on administration. And, you know, they talk a lot about um, the kind of churn of government policy implementations mm. and bureaucracy that's associated with that. So I think, you know, it is definitely the case that um, that that more time um, is needed in different ways of working and needed to help relieve some of these pressures. But I think your, your question's a good one because, you know, sometimes it is hard 
um, you know, we're all creatures of habit. So if we've been doing things, you know, broadly speaking, the same way day in, day out, sometimes it is hard to step back and, and reassess um, are there different ways we could be doing things. And I do think there's a really important role for school principals and system leaders to help schools work through different ways of working that might, um, you know, might look a, look a bit strange and a bit different um, at first, but could really improve things for teachers in, in the longer run. So I can think, you know, some really practical examples. We know that there are some schools that take a really collaborative approach to lesson planning, for example. You know, the teachers um, work together to develop really high quality um, lesson plans and curriculum resources, and they're shared. And obviously that does come at a bit of a cost in terms of the ability of individual teachers to go their own way, I guess, if they if they want to. But the benefit might be really significant in terms of having a really high quality set of resources to run within their classroom. And that frees up time for teachers to think about those things like how they're delivering the lessons in the class, how they're meeting individual student needs and, and scaffolding students so that they can access those materials. So that kind of changed might be quite significant for some teachers um, but but you know what we hear from the schools that are doing this well is that ultimately in the long run it actually reduces some of those pressures that teachers say they're facing. I guess that relates as well to planning time and I wonder sometimes whether planning just providing more planning time would necessarily help to solve that problem because it depends like if you're given more time to do planning, it depends on how well you do your planning and what sort of efficiencies you can build into your planning. And so my question is whether or not other things contribute. For example, uh, we talk about student well-being, but would a greater focus on staff well-being help to contribute in this area? Yes, I mean, I think staff wellbeing is a really important question. Um, it's a really important issue and we, we do need to focus on that um, a lot more, I think. You know, we, we certainly, we've seen teaching increasingly become a less attractive profession for high-performing school leaders um, and, and really tackling some of these issues around wellbeing and workload, I think, I think is important. You know, I think, though, that um, at the end of the day, I, I think you're right to say that, you know, it's how we spend that planning time that really matters. We do know that there are systems, high-performing education systems that do give teachers a lot more preparation time. Uh, Shanghai is an example where teachers only teach for 10 to 12 hours a week in terms of face-to-face -face teaching time. Wow, 10 to 12 hours. The trade-off, of course, is wow. much higher class sizes. Yeah, okay. So like, like everything in education, there's, there's no free lunch. <laughs> But, I, you know, I think probably a combination of approaches where, you know, we make sure that, that there is enough planning time for teachers to, to develop high quality lessons, but also, you know, much greater supports to develop high quality um, our, uh, lesson plans. So, you know, you do hear often from teachers um, the story of, of being up until 11 o'clock at night, Googling the internet for different resources, mm. um, you know, Teachers Pay Teachers is a website that you, that we hear a lot. Um, and I'm sure there's some excellent high quality resources available, but it does beg the question, you know, if, why, why would, why do we expect a medical, we wouldn't expect a medical professional, I guess, to, to be Googling at 11 o'clock at night in um, preparation for a, um, a, an appointment with a client the next day. And, and equally, I think, you know, we can support teachers better to access high quality resources up front so that they don't have to be doing that after dinner when they've got their own kids in bed. 
Yeah. One of the other ideas of your research is the the idea of reconceptualizing teachers' roles. Now, I really like this idea. Where does that start? Is is that a, a, a teacher preparation thing? Can schools do that? What if what if I, as an individual teacher, thought I would like to reconceptualize myself? <laughs> where where does it start? Oh, look, I, I wish it was as easy as um, flicking a switch and and we could all get ourselves there. But look, I think. I, I think that we probably haven't, we don't value the critical role that teachers perform in the classroom as much as we should. So, you know, teaching is, um, it's been described as a performance profession. You know, the, the bulk of the benefit for students from working with a teacher happens in the classroom. You know, it's that, that you know, three or four hours a day that, that students are really engaged with a teacher in school. Uh, that teacher needs to be, sort of on top of their game, um, it's very hard to have a bad day in teaching. You can't sort of sneak behind the desk and deal with emails and, and, and you know, and, and you also can't sort of say, oh, I'm having a bit of a bad a bad week or a bad month, but it's okay, I'll, I'll pull a few all-nighters um, towards the end of the year and I'll get the kids up to speed then. Your teaching requires, um, you know, teachers who are on top of their game for those, those four hours a day, day in, day out in the classroom. And and I, I think that's an incredibly um, important um, role and skill and we should be really valuing what it means for a teacher to be able to perform at that level um, with that reliability. Um, what we also, though, do is we expect then teachers to be experts in, you know, behavioural issues and, um, you know, experts in assessment and curriculum design and, um, you know, really acute learning disabilities and and also be social workers and and all other manner of things that that we know um are important but it gets back to that point i guess i, I made before that you know we risk seeing teachers as uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none so i think what we'd like to see when we talk about that reconceptualization really um, valuing teachers for that incredibly important classroom work that they do and recognizing that Education probably works best when teachers are supported by a range of other professionals with expertise in other areas. So it's okay not to be an expert in everything. Um, <laughs> oh, that's comforting. <laughs> and and I think you know that that's an important cultural message that um, initial teacher education I think can can uh, teach um, new teachers. But it's also a cultural message that needs to be um, understood in schools and in policy departments as well. Something that I've often reflected on uh, when I was in the classroom, I'm not in the classroom currently, but was something that goes along the lines of being on yard duty or bus duty. And I would stand there thinking, okay, I've got loads of things to do. There are, there are plenty of things that I could be doing now that will have a direct impact on my, let's say it was a lunch duty, on my classes for periods five and six. And yet I'm standing in the yard. And I, I, look, I understand the, the notion of uh, teachers play a greater role in the school. There's that being visible in the school grounds. There's the relationships that you have with students in different contexts. I understand all of those things. However, I guess the, the, the question that underlie, underlies this, this idea is, should we be using staff for the things that only they can do? And I think this is the workforce mix issue that's going to come out in your research. So for example, would it be better if we used non-academic staff to do non-academic things? Is there any strength to that way of thinking? I think 
think there is definitely um you know and and we did some work on this in 2014 uh, a report we published called making time for great teaching we spent um, time in six schools around the country and we asked them how they were finding time for high quality professional development and yard duty um, assemblies as well uh, bus duty um, supervision of children at extracurricular sporting events, for example, um, they all came up as options where maybe we could think differently about how we deliver that supervision responsibility. Clearly, students need to be supervised by a responsible adult, but that doesn't always need to be a teacher. And often, as you say, um, a teacher might be out there on yard duty and you know, really worrying about how they're going to deliver that maths class in, in period six. And, and there's a really, you know, a, a, an interesting question about whether that really is the best use of the teacher's time to be out there in the playground. I think that that is an area where we could make some improvements. At the same time, you know, I think it's a bit hard sometimes to, to sort of um, expect teachers to cobble together an extra 15 minutes here and an extra 15 minutes there to to make up for um, the the fact that they don't basically have enough time for planning or the systems aren't in place to support high quality planning. Teaching really requires that deep thinking. So, you know, we need teachers to have those blocks of time where they can work um, with other experts, with other colleagues, um, and also develop their own professional practice in a sustained way to improve improve performance and, and uh, deliver, you know, better better learning outcomes for students. So I don't think Yardji is going to solve the whole problem, but it is a good place <laughs> to start. <laughs> Look, um, something I'd really like to ask you as well, and look, I know that this is this is the very beginning phase of the research, and so I think we can probably afford to take a slightly, uh, well, at least I can. <laughs> as, the, as the person asking the questions, I'm going to take a slightly lighter view of this one. What if, what if I was a teacher and I thought, okay, I've got all these things that burden me in my job and in my life, and I wish I just had more time to get on with the, with the core business of teaching, what if I did just stop doing all that stuff that burdens me and then just focused on high impact teaching? What if I could just quantify and describe all those things that are irritating and thought, right, I'm just not going to do them anymore. That's it. I'm done. I'm just going to do the teaching. Would that start a revolution? Would the fabric of our system start to break down? I, I love that question. I think that's a great question. And, and I really hope um, in the process of researching this report that we, we maybe hear from some teachers that have done that. I'd love to hear what, what happened if, the, if they did do that. I think, look, I do think that there's, there might be a little bit of truth to some of that. Um, you know, I think probably some conversations about prioritisation of time use maybe could happen a little bit more in schools. And maybe maybe there is a case for teachers thinking more, um, I guess, doing some more of that hard thinking about the costs of taking on another excursion, say, or another school play or another activity that no doubt has benefit for students. But the question is, what at what cost? So at what cost for the students in terms of their own learning time, but also what cost for, for teachers in terms of their own time to prepare and, and deliver, you know, a high quality um, learning sequence for those kids. So there might be times when actually saying no, um, or at least painting a bigger picture for school leaders about the implications of taking on new things could actually be quite useful. But obviously, I don't think we can take that idea um, 
to its extreme. So (laughs) (laughs) teachers, you know, they do raise a number of concerns about bureaucracy and administrative burden. We know that in in society these days, there's, there's many forms of reporting that are that are really important. So things like child safe reporting, for example, that that's something that no doubt takes up quite a lot of time, but it's not going to go away. Um, does that, you know, support better learning outcomes? Well, it probably does in, in the broad, but, you know, it is also just a fact of life at schools and it's important and it serves, you know, really important objectives that, that are here to stay, I think, and that's a good thing. So it's not, it's, Part of the answer, I think, is in prioritisation and part of the answer is just, you know, being honest with ourselves um, at a school level and at a, at a system level and a political level about the fact that if we want to achieve all of these great things from schooling, we are going to need to resource schools and teachers and, and other professionals to do that. Look, I'd love to talk to you again after your research uh, and after you've found out all these things that you're going to be investigating. Do you... Is there something that you hope to gain particularly from this? Could I describe it this way? Uh, Would there be a key takeaway that we could learn from this research? I hope so. And and what I would say is, you know, I think what we're really hoping to do with the first report that will be published this year is provide some examples of schools that have managed to organise themselves a little bit differently uh, to find more time for teachers to focus on those high impact teaching tasks. We are hoping to to work with different schools and and hear a lot from teachers about more innovative strategies, I guess, that can make make their jobs a bit easier. And what we really want to do as well is put this squarely on the agenda for government departments and political leaders so that we can start to have that broader conversation about how do we achieve the outcomes that we've we've set for ourselves, the goals we've set for ourselves in the Alice Springs Declaration going forward. So it's, I guess, a two-pronged approach. We're hoping to have some quick wins that schools can action now and teachers can action now um, and also set the system up to really engage with this issue more deeply over time. Well, Jordana, it's been great listening to you describe the research that you're about to do. I really look forward to the outcome. It's been great to talk with you this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. Quick wins now and deeper understanding over time. If this message resonates and you know a friend or colleague who would benefit from hearing about this research, then please share this episode with them. And for more great stories from inspiring educators, subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website, central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.